Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Yo, what's happening, Rush Nation? It's Murph here, and I've decided to do a bit of an impromptu pod that's not been planned. Um, the reason for this is, as I put on Twitter the other day, I've actually uh, engaged earlier in the season getting some new people into fantasy football and I find it's quite difficult to get resources in terms of how to start playing fantasy football, which is a little bit of that is in the playbook and like some strategies and ideas of how to get competitive early. But I think there's a need and a demand for people to actually be able to talk to someone during drafts or, or how to set ones up, etc. So I've actually set up three uh, leagues. That I'm not even going to play it just for people in the UK NFL group. And um, been speaking to those folks for a while, got getting their drafts and everything all all set up. And in terms of, I wanted to know from them some questions. So I set up this Google form and then I actually thought, well, actually, let's expand this and put this out on the Twitterverse. So um, I've actually got uh, a series of questions that have been asked here, which is kind of rookie fantasy football questions, which are mostly to deal with strategy. I've taken one or two of these out, but focusing more on, the actual strategy point. So let's um, go through these one at a time. And I thought it'd be quite a useful pod because even for people who 
aren't necessarily rookies. Uh, people have been playing this just for a couple of years or actually there's some really good discussion pieces for even more experienced fantasy players. So just because uh, it initially came out as rookie questions, there's actually some really good questions in here. So I, I do encourage you to listen to it and it's not going to be a very long pod. So let's start with the first one. So first one is uh, how does strategy change when playing in standard versus half PPR versus PPR leagues? And this is quite a common question that, uh, I've been asked a, a fair bit and you know it's a there's a bit of a cop-out um answer here because it, in all fairness it doesn't change a, a great deal um half ppr leagues don't really stand out so too much there's not too many half ppr leagues that get played um so people ask uh, why do rankers uh, rank in half PPR and it's pretty because people play mostly standard or PPR leagues so it's kind of in the middle and it's kind of a halfway house it's not going to affect the rankings too much up to PPR or, or too much to standard so in truth there aren't many half PPR leagues so uh, there's not really a strategy point there to really uncover other than most ranks you'll see will be for half PPR in most cases you might say see some people do uh, all of them across all three formats but um, and I know Stocks and I do that as well. But, you know, in theory, the half PPR doesn't is only there as a theoretical exercise. There's not many people that play it. So then you've got standard and PPR. Now, standard will favor players like running backs more because obviously then at that stage, you don't have the value of, of the, the catches. And the reason why PPR leagues came in was because uh, wide receivers were almost slightly devalued, especially uh, slot receivers. For example, so someone like Michael Thomas wouldn't have had necessarily as great a value in other standard formats. Although he, he's an elite talent in his prime, he would have been. But in PPR formats, he's far more effective due to the sheer volume of catches. And that's true for, for all slot receivers. So that was kind of why PPR kind of came in. And it really, in terms of, it doesn't change too much. It just in terms of for wide receivers it will bump them up slightly um you'll get certain players who will be boosted sheerly you know purely on their target volume so if you know that you're going to have a wide receiver who's going to make 100 catches in a, in a season for example or 90 catches to 100 catches you know that's a really big bulk of points that they're going to get now however there's quite a number of players that do that so in terms of setting up the tiers and everything it's not going to change too much what it does is it moves uh players historically like a uh, deshaun jackson for example who have those um monster weeks of where they go for like 160 yards and two or three touchdowns uh it will move them down slightly because of the fact that they're not going to get consistent catches they're very boom or bust uh whereas it's standard there's you know because they, you're not getting propped up by reception values and then the one that's missed off here is tiered ppr which is something that has been uh doing the rounds the last couple of years where you actually tier the points per reception, because why should a player who catches a pass behind the line of scrimmage and goes for no gain, get a, a fantasy football point. And it's a really good point because why, why should they? Um, because they haven't done anything. They've achieved no yardage, but they've caught a pass. Um, and that's where TPPR have this to where, if, you know, if players don't actually make, much of a gain off the pass, then they get less points. It goes from 0, 0 0.25, 0 0.5, 0 0.75 from one. Um, and those longer touchdowns get you the full bonus PPR. And you have some that maybe only do four scores, 0 0.25. It doesn't have the zero, for example. 
So, yeah, really in terms of the strategy, it doesn't change too much, especially at the top end of the board. Um, what it does do is it just makes more wide receivers uh, more viable. So it makes it an even deeper class of wide receivers, which means you might be inclined to take uh, running back slightly earlier. And as well, it adds more additional value to the Christian McCaffrey's as well, the, the heavy pass catching uh, running backs in particular, because that will just elevate them even further from the rest of the running backs. But good question. Um, next one is, does the value of the number one tight end or number one wide receiver warrant taking them in the back end of the first beginning of the second round? Um, and I'm taking that's the number one overall. Um, so in this case, like a Travis Kelsey or Devontae slash uh, Tyree Kill. Yeah, um, definitely they should be in that conversation of, of the back end of the first uh, beginning of the second round. Because at that point, if you think about you probably have nine running backs off the board before you might even have to make this choice. Maybe in some leagues, maybe Kelsey or or the the wide receiver one, whether that's Adams or or Hill or even Diggs, um, comes off the board. Um, but I, I'd expect at least six running backs to come off. You start to talk about well, the back end of the RB ones versus the best tight end or the best wide receiver, the best tight end being Travis Kelsey. It's such a significant advantage in position. And I always argued against this. Even if you read the 2020 book, I said, there's no point in paying up for Kelsey for what you lose. But when you think he's a top three wide receiver in his own right, and he's a tight end, and he's going to have a massive point differential over the rest of the field at that position, he makes a lot of sense to go with that back end of the first round. Um, And the same with the wide receiver one. It depends kind of how you want to do your build as well and seeing how the board goes and who's there. For example, if Zeke is falling to the back end of the first round, I'm, I'd probably take Zeke given what he can do in that, in that Cowboys offense over those guys. But I guess you have to kind of see what happens. If, if we're taking this example, we're assuming that basically nine running backs have gone off the board in a row. So then you're looking at it thinking, well, what's the big difference between the running back 10 and then on the way back, the running back say 12 that you get in the second round, probably not a huge amount. Um, you're not going to see huge drop from, say, running back 10, running back 12, or running back 13. But to get, say, the number one wide receiver versus the number four wide receiver, or the number one tight end versus the number two tight end is massive. Um, well, not massive, but it's bigger. So I would say there, there is real value in that. Um, good question. Next one. I've read a lot about not drafting kickers and defenses and using those picks on other positions due to their low value. But how does this work? If there are 16 spots on the team and 16 draft spots, do you not have to use two of your draft picks on the kicker and defense? Um, this is a very much league-specific rule. So in terms of the rules of your league, I would check with your commissioner first. If there is no rule, then no, there isn't uh, a requirement to draft kickers and defenses. And I would encourage you probably not to unless there was a real value in the board in the last couple of rounds. And maybe defense slightly more, but kickers, I don't see a real strong need to to draft a kicker unless you're getting a Justin Tucker in the 15th round, which never happens. But if it it did, I'd I'd get that. But no, um, the reason why is is kickers are very difficult to predict. And at the same token, there isn't a lot of difference. Um, So I've written about this in the Fantasy Football Playbook. The, the point scoring between the number one and number 12 
uh, kickers and defences doesn't really fluctuate all that much. It's about 2.6 to 2.8 points uh, per game per season. So then you think about what happens if you pick up a player on your roster who might be very valuable. So last season, I was picking up, say, in the draft, James Robinson, who then turned out to be a top 12 running back. I'm getting him in the 16th round instead of my kicker. I'm massively ahead as a result of that because I've got a running back now who's now a running back one. And this doesn't always happen. This is just an example of why people do it. But players that you could take in that, in that range that could be more acceptable players like Tyrell, Tyrell Williams of, of Detroit, for example, who at this point is top of the depth chart in Detroit. Now he might flame out like he does quite, quite frequently wherever else he's gone, but you don't know. But as the wide receiver one, he could be someone that you would really expect or could potentially go off and become a really big impact in that, in that offense, which as a result, He's going to be far more useful than a kicker when you can pick one up on waivers just before the start of the season. And the other thing is you could pick up players who are in training camp, and this is where someone like James Robinson comes into a prime example, who's doing really well in training camp and who is in a chance to get a really significant role in their offense. And when that happens, that's why you do it. And if it doesn't work, it fails. You, you pick up a kicker and a defense and you can stream those across the season, uh, et cetera. So just check with your rules master and your commissioner. But, you know, I don't see a reason why you would need to draft those positions. And the reason why is you could, if you could get someone in your roster and give you examples of previous years, George Kittle was someone that you could have got in that range. James Connor, um, when he had that big year, when Lev Bell held out, um, Patrick Mahomes in his first full year as a starter, Lamar Jackson. These are all players you could have got in those late rounds. And again, there's many examples of busts that don't happen, but you know, it gives you an idea. Um, next question. During the season, what preparation do you do on a week-to-week basis to ensure you start the best players on your team? Um, good question. I Really, for this, it's, it's a case of I look at matchups. I look at every week we get to know a bit more and more about um, teams in terms of NFL teams, which ones are good and which ones are bad. And we think at the start of the season, we we know that, but there's always teams that surprise you. There's always a, a last to first. And there's always at times a first to first to last injuries come into play, uh, coaching changes. Um, so we don't really know um, what teams are inherently really good or really bad. I mean, obviously we know a few teams that will be good, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, for example, but we don't know for sure all the teams that will be good and all the teams will be bad and what the defences are going to be like. So ultimately you get that information on a week-to-week basis um, and that gets stronger. So what I'm looking at is I'm looking at um, matchups. I'm looking at, say, um, what what defence the running backs and the wide receivers are playing against are they pretty good against stopping the run or stopping the pass? Um, what they've done, what are the uh, defensive lines are like, how they match up against the offensive line, etc. So I start to look at the matchups. Um, but ultimately, it's it's most of the time, it's start your best players. Um, if you've drafted Christian McCaffrey, regardless of whether he's got the worst matchup, which is, you know, he has to do twice a year against the run, which is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you're going to start him no matter what. But it's as you get down the roster, your wide receiver three, your flex spots, for example, they're the ones that you potentially start to think about in more detail and think, well, do I play 
player A or player B. So yeah, I look at I look at things like that. I look at um, things like target share if it's wide receivers. Um, what's their target share been like over the last few weeks? Are they getting significant target share? Are they seeing more increased workload? How many targets they're getting? Um, if a wide receiver is only getting a couple of targets a game, I'm less likely to start them. If they're getting four, five, six, seven, I'm not as worried about the receptions. I'm worried about the targets. That's really key. A wide receiver could just be very well covered one week, get nine targets, but only three catches. Um, that happens. But actually the fact that they've thrown him the ball nine times says that he's someone that's valued in that offense. It's going to revert back. It'll be fine. Same way it goes rushing. How many rushing touches? What percentage of, of snaps is he playing? So they're the kind of things I look at on a on a week-to-week basis to ensure I'm starting players that are likely to get the biggest amount of volume. What sort of planning should I be doing before the draft? Um, I So I like to know who I'm in the draft with. I like to know uh, what teams they support. Um, just so that gives me a little bit of an information as to do they have favorite players. Um, so, for example, an Aaron Rod- you know, a, um, a Green Bay fan might be likely to take Aaron Rodgers around early, even though with what's going on, uh, or you know, they might if they're at the back end of the first, probably likely to take Devontae Adams over over other players. So, they're things that I kind of try and understand, um, and also try and get a read on how much experience those players have. Um, I, you know, I think you should do some form of mock drafts or, or best ball. Um, I think it's good to know if you know your draft spot ahead of time, especially it's very good to mock that spot um, and just see the kind of players that you get. Look at the ADPs, start looking and working out who am I likely to get? Um, do some form of preparation in terms of your rankings, your tiers, uh, and just have a list of ideas. And if you don't know how to do that, the quickest way to build rankings for example really simply is to pick three or four analysts you really like um and get their rankings and then kind of mash them together um and then just put your gut feel to them it's like actually i really like aaron jones i think he's probably better than cam Akers this year for example they're your rankings at the end of the day but don't just go off adam ranks rankings or or someone like that because once someone kind of works out that that's what you're doing they're going to know who you're going to pick um so yeah don't do that uh, that's really kind of it. Just kind of know where you're going to pick from, do some mock drafts or do some uh, best balls and kind of just work that one out um, and just start to get used. To it. And if you don't know people that you can do those sorts of things with, fancy pros to a, a draft uh, a draft wizard tool where you can kind of mock draft on there. You could do a couple of those a day. Um, I wouldn't say that it's 100% accurate, but I think it's better than nothing. And I think it's good. The more you do, the more you're kind of, get used to be picking guys in, in that sort of range. Um, Brady's or Roger, Brady or Rogers a better pick for this season. I mean, you would typically say Rogers, but hold out. I'm not going to go into too much detail. Uh, I think Brady's going to be fine uh, and you can get him at a discount this year. So why not? Um, not sure if you've been asked this before and I just can't find it. What is the flex, the flex position used for? And what positions would be best to fill it with? So the flex position is, um, for those that don't know, it's there's two kinds of flex. There's a, a regular flex, which is running back, wide receiver, or tight end. And then there's a super flex. Um, super flex adds the quarterback. So, you know, assuming you're talking about the regular flex position here and you're talking about just running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, 
very rarely will I start a tight end in my flex. Uh, unless there's premium tight end premium scoring. I wouldn't, it just don't see the value of starting a, a tight end there. They're always going to score less than running backs or wide receivers in on occasion, unless it's a really good matchup. For example, there's a couple of times I started um, Jimmy Graham uh, in my flex because I fancied him to get a touchdown and, it, and he did and it kind of worked, but I wouldn't, you know, really for the, the basis of this exercise, I would be starting running backs and wide receivers. And it kind of goes back to the answer I gave earlier about uh, how to set your best team. Look at the volume, look at the work that those players are getting and decide really based on who you think is going to have the best volume with the best matchup. Um, volume trumps everything. But if you're really stuck, and you think two players are going to equal roughly the same, then the matchup's a good tiebreaker. Um, with so many formats, uh, redraft, dynasty, best ball, IDP, et cetera, and scoring systems, standard PPR, is it best to solely focus on one you like or mix it up? Uh, this is an absolute just preference. Um, I like to mix it up. I play all of those. Um, but I guess it, it's really down to you as an individual. If you're starting out for the first time, I'd keep it um, quite simple. So I would probably start with just redraft to start. Um, best ball, by the way, is just basically a a, a redraft without um, any in, on you know in in season management. So there's nothing prohibitive about best ball. You're basically just doing drafts. I see them as um, preseason kind of reps for drafts. I think they're really good fun. And there's best ball tournaments. You can enter that are really good fun as well. Um, but the good thing about best ball is you draft and you're done. So the, you, there's nothing wrong. You, you have a bad draft, you know, you, you know, you're not going to do well. That's, that's fine, but you don't invest any more time after, after the draft. So I, you know, there's nothing prohibitive. You can do best ball anytime. I think, you know, if I'm just starting out, it's my first year, I'd probably stick to redraft. I'd probably, I don't think there's, as I said, I don't think there's a big difference between standard and PPR. I don't think it's a huge difference. I think you can, play and they can be interchangeable and you'll have little nuances and difference but i don't think it's enough to put you off changing that that scoring system if you get into more custom scoring things like tight end premium and things like that i wouldn't um same way i wouldn't do things like super flex um i'd probably just stick to a, a redraft ppr redraft standard kind of things uh, in my first year but it's entirely up to you um the more different formats you play the more fun it is in some regards and also the more knowledge you obtain the bad side is obviously the amount of leagues you've got to manage and then potentially getting those wrong like thinking you're in a, a dynasty or in a redraft and you're actually in a dynasty and you drop someone who's injured who's going to be a big part of your team next year um i know pretty much everyone i know has pretty much done that uh, etc so kind of up to you I find there's so much analysis out there, but often it's not clear on format or scoring. Is it best to avoid the noise and focus on one? So as I kind of said um, earlier, most of the scoring format, if it's not listed, tends to be half-point PPR. Um, and again, the reason why is because standard and PPR is not a huge gap. So half-point kind of just bridges the gap and there's not a big difference between the two, which is kind of what happens. So I don't think it's about best to avoid the noise. I think if if it's not talking about a specific format, then you can naturally assume it's just a redraft one quarterback league, pretty standard settings. And then it's about 
you know, you can interchange whether you want to include PPR or not in that. So that's where most of the analysis is. Um, I think over the next couple of years, that's going to change. I think you're going to see Superflex advice be probably the norm because I think Superflex is going to be the norm. Um, almost all startups now, I think Sleeper said something like close to 80% of startups this off-season have been Superflex. So I think we're very much shifting into this Superflex of, of almost being having the ability to start two quarterbacks being the the norm and i think then the analysis and things will change so i don't think necessarily avoid the noise i think it's a case of pick what you like um read the articles that people write whether it's myself whether it's adam rank whoever it is and just uh, follow that advice and just go from there i think that's the the key one is just go from what you kind of believe um what you kind of think and and go from there and if you like the advice, then just keep following it. Um, but I like to get different opinions and things uh, as well. Next one. So last year I took Kelsey quite high. Is it worth drafting a very good tight end only doors season three for me? Uh, I think yeah, Kelsey, if he's available at the back end of the first, I think he's worth consideration. If he slips to start the second again, similar. Um, you know, this conversation about Darren Waller in the third round. I personally wouldn't do it, but I get the logic on why people would do it. And I think that's an acceptable approach. I think outside of that, I'm probably not going to be doing anything else at tight end. Uh, I'm more of a tight end late kind of person. Um, I just don't like the roster construction, the way that my teams build. If I get a tight end in the fourth round, the fifth round, the, the sixth round, they're just for me on, they're not good built um, for how I like to set my teams up. I know other people think very differently. I know people are really excited about TG Hawkinson this year. I know people are really excited about Kyle Pitts. I know people are really excited uh, about Mark Andrews. And I just, for me, in a, in a standard or PPR league, which is one tight end, no premium scoring. I just don't think the value is there. Look, look at what happens every year. There's always a tight end, who comes up and finishes in a high tight end position. Last year, Logan Thomas, you had Robert Tonyan, the year before you had Darren Waller and Mark Andrews. It happens every year. There's always these guys that come out and it doesn't take a lot to be a top five tight end in this league. Uh, two years in a row, I've streamed a top five tight end. Like I think that just is the new norm. Um so I just I just don't believe you need to invest. Kelsey, I think, is the, the one exception for me. And I can get the logic on, on Waller. I personally am not going to do it, but I, I do get it. I think he does give you a significant advantage outside of that. Probably not. Um, my wife decided to chime in and ask me what we're having for dinner. Um, so thanks for that. Extremely helpful. Um, but nice, nice to know that she's uh, engaged in supporting of my crazy hobby. Hey. Um, at what point would you consider a player you drafted a bust and look to replace him? Should you do this earlier at the risk of getting him going later in the season uh, or later with them filling a bench spot that may be filled by a, a player putting up fantasy points now? This is a really good question. And to be perfectly honest, it's a very difficult one to answer because it kind of is dependent on the player uh, and the reason why they're a bust. Now, it could be you've got a scenario like... Uh, you know, you've got a scenario where they're bust due to injury and it's like, well, how long do you think they're going to be out? 
Um, and there were people that were carrying players like Michael Thomas last year, who was uh, injured, and people like carrying on uh, Kenny Galladay, for example, who was this week to week. Is he going to come back? Is he not going to come back? And really, you could have dropped those players six, seven weeks in advance of when you probably ended up dropping them. Um, inversely, you've also got players who you don't, it's a hard one. Do they, are they, you have to kind of know why they're a bust. Are they, are they a bust because they're not getting the ball? Are they a bust because they're getting usurped on the depth chart? You know, because you, you could have a player like Jonathan Taylor, who was a bit of a bust and then he ended up uh, doing really well second half of the season. Um, and there's always players that have still that kind of, of thought. So I guess I'd group this into different categories. The first one is um, if you've taken things like handcuffs. So you've taken a player like uh, Alexander Madison or Tony Pollard on the basis that you think, or the chance that someone might get injured. I think at that point, given the first four or five weeks, it depends how your team's doing as well. If your team's winning and you're winning every week and you've got a really good record, you can afford to hold these players a bit longer because even if you drop a game, you're still in a very strong position. Whereas if you're closer to the bottom of the league or you're fighting for the playoff positions, you need every single roster spot. So there's so many different factors. If I've got a handcuff, I'm not winning. I'm more inclined to drop those players sooner rather than later because I need to get players who are going to make a positive impact on my team. Um, If it's not that and it's about I've taken flyers on players, and they're not working out, I'm quite happy to, to drop them. Um, if it's a player who's really good, that's a different question. And it's like, how long do you wait? Do you let talent prevail? Do you leave them to be a, a complete bust? And I think that's a judgment call that you've got to make uh, at some point. And it's also depending on what your definition of a bust is. For example, if you took a player who you expected to be uh, a number one tight end, last season, great example, Miles Sanders, um, and he ends up putting in a, a, a running back two performance, all right, be it very low end, 24 or 25. Yes, he's a bust from where you've drafted him, but actually he still has a starter value. So you can't drop him. But if he's performing at like an RB60 kind of range, then you would drop him. So uh, there's all those different factors. I think you've got to look at your record. You've got to look at if you're winning. I always like to have a spot or two on my bench that I like to play and rotate with to bring in new players and and add them to the waiver wire every week if I can. But if I have a really good, solid uh, team, then I don't mess with it as much. I know it's kind of a weird way to answer that question, but I hope uh, you understand kind of why and giving you some ideas on, on that. How would you manage an unexpected early run on a position in the draft? Would you consider taking a player, even though it may be too early for the value, or would you hold your nerve and see what players are available later on at the risk of missing out on the league good players in the position? Again, this is a really difficult question to answer because it kind of depends on the position and what's left. So I would say here, when you've got an unexpected early run on a position, I think you have to look at the players left. So if you've got tiers, you start looking at your tiers and you start thinking about, okay, I've got a player at this tier. Do I, and he might be the only player left in that tier. So I take him because the tear drop below him is significant. And actually I better take him. It's not what I would have done from an ideal roster construction perspective, but actually the points I'm going to miss out on are significant. Inversely, if so many players have gone that the players you've got left of that position 
and quarterbacks a great example, right? So say the elite quarterbacks go in like round four and you weren't expecting it. And you're sitting there like stuck and the first six, seven quarterbacks are off the board and it's like the fourth round. I just wouldn't take one until the later rounds. You just don't need to because the difference between the quarterback seven and the quarterback 17 is fairly negligible. And at that point, you can probably take two quarterbacks and maybe alternate them based on matchups and or you stream a quarterback or, or those sorts of things. So for that, I would say, you know, I would, I would wait at the position, hold my nerve. If it's running back, for example, and all these running backs going off the board, I have to look at my tiers. Is that player going to give me the best chance to win? I.e., if I miss out on this player and the next player on the board is 30 points a season worse off or 40 points or 50 points, I probably need to consider taking that player, even though it's not what I ideally would like to do. And the way I would describe this is, say I've got like one running back in, in that tier, and then there's a teardrop, and it's quite significant. Or there's five wide receivers now. The, t- the tier of wide receivers has gone so far I'm into like the next tier, but I've got this group of like five people. I just hold my nerve and just wait to get one of those next guys. So I look at the tier that I've got. I look at the highest tier for the highest position. And I look at how many I've got in that position, and I pick the one that's a bit more scarce because I don't want to miss out and go down another tier, if that makes sense quite a difficult question i think it depends on the position as well i would say you know quarterback you can wait on running back pound the wide receivers if you end up having to go and double dip in the fourth fifth round for for running backs it's not the end of the world but you kind of have to just see where your 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 tiers are wide receivers i I don't think is going to be a massive shortfall of wide receivers in in this draft so i don't think you're going to miss out too much um, what's a better strategy, picking two running backs first or pick one running back wide receiver? Um, this really depends on where you draft. Um, it, it's a hard one to call because it depends on who gets to you in your pick as well. Because let's say you start, let's go to the top of the board, right? First two picks are going to be realistically Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook. You pair them on the way back. The, your likely options when you come off the board are. I'm just going to look up some ADP just to be just make this as accurate as possible. Uh, so I'm looking at ADP 2324. JK Dobbins is going back into the second. If you're lucky, maybe Joe Mixon might fall, but he's like he's going off the board before now. So you're looking at the next two running backs are uh, JK Dobbins. Clyde edwards Hilaire, Miles Sanders. So you could start with Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and end up with your second running back with J.K. Dobbins, who I'm not sure is, you know, at this point you're talking about the running back 15, running back 16, running back 17, or if you're talking about Clyde edwards Hilaire and, and Miles Sanders. Whereas I want you to read, these are some of the wide receivers you can get in this range. Calvin Ridley, uh, A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, um, Darren Wallace, just dipping into that corner of the second, third, if that's your sort of build, Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen. These are the sorts of players that you're going to potentially um, pass on to get a, a J.K. Dobbins, uh, Clive Hilaire. And then at that point, it's down to how you value them, etc. But I just want to give you the, the real-life example. 
what about if we look in the middle, right? So we look at this uh, running back, so the five, six, seven. Uh, I'm using fantasy data as well for their their ADP. So if I'm picking in the middle here, you've got Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor going sort of five, six, seven right now. Um, so you you pick one of those at five, six, or seven, and then coming back, you have. Antonio Gibson, Patrick Mahomes, which is not something I, I would do, but I people do it. Josh Jacobs, I, I wouldn't do there at running back 13. But Joe Mixon's there. He's someone that I'd be tempted with in that range. So then you've got Antonio Gibson, Joe Mixon. I, I'd be really tempted if I could get Zeke Elliott and Antonio Gibson. That would really tempt me. Um, wide receivers in that range, DK Metcalf. Um, and then you go back to the back end. You, if you get really lucky, Austin Eckler might slide down, and 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 Stephon Diggs. I don't think Stephon Diggs falls that far. So then you look at the third round, and you think about the receivers you're getting in that range. So that's Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, uh, Mike Evans, Terry McLaurin, Julio Jones, Adam Thielen. These are going after Allen Robinson. I'm really happy to go with like Zeke Gibson and then pick up one of those guys. Like if I get, if I can start Zeke Gibson and then Thomas or Allen, I'm over the moon. I think that's an amazing start. I think that's like as great a start as you can, you could probably ask for from, from that spot. So then you look at the back end of the round. So, um, you know, we're assuming that we're going to pass on Kelsey here. So you're looking at, Aaron Jones, Cam Akers, maybe Austin, and then coming back and getting Austin Eckler, maybe Antonio Gibson. So then it's a case of you're passing up Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Devon the Adams, Stefan Diggs. For Cam Akers, I just don't know. I think I'd rather have, I think I'd rather have Diggs or Adams or or Tyreek or Kelsey, especially Kelsey, I think really interests me there. So, and but then knowing I'm going to come back and get an Eckler, uh, a Gibson, that I'm I'm happy to go with that sort of start. And then going on the the next sort of round, you're looking at David Montgomery round three. Yeah, I don't think David Montgomery is that much of a drop to to Cam Akers, uh, Chris Carson, injury concerns. But okay, DeAndre Swift again. We talked about him on the pod on Monday. Uh, yeah, Kareem Hunt. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this thing. I'm happy with those guys as, as running back twos. Um, they're fine. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go uh, wide receiver, running back, running back kind of thing. So, it, it, it will, like I said, it's a hard question to kind of answer in isolation. But, again, it's where you have to look at the ADP and look at uh, where you're picking in the draft um, and how you kind of want to build a roster. So, in some places, two RB makes sense, maybe the middle. Uh, of the draft kind of makes sense. Um, I would bookend on either end, probably that one running back, one wide receiver. But then it also depends who falls. Does someone reach up, etc. Um, is it more valuable to take two QBs in the draft or to stream pick up the second QB on waivers later and use that draft pick on other positions? This is an excellent question. Um, typically, I would have said I take one QB and stream a second. Unfortunately, with the pandemic and um, the extra game, and all these other factors, I would say that most teams will draft two QBs. And when that happens, I think you have to have 
two of the top 22 QBs. I think just to, to realistically be comfortable, I think you've got to have two of the top 22 QBs. Because then if not, those other guys are just a bit of a, a mess. I don't want a Teddy Bridgewater on my team. I don't want Andy Dalton on my team. Um, you don't know when someone like Trey Lance is going to play, but he's someone I would be quite keen to draft late. Justin Fields, similar question. So then you're sitting there and you're thinking about, okay, so when when do I take that next QB? And it's a, I, I think for me, I, I like to have two top 22 QBs. So like if I can follow up and I'm quite happy to take, if I got an elite QB in like round five and I got like a Dak or a Kylo or Josh Allen in like round five or round six, for example, um, I'm quite happy to take like a Trey Lance, uh, a, uh, you know, a Trevor Lawrence. I'm just quite happy to take those rookie QBs, even Justin Fields, because now they're going to come on eventually. And hopefully it's by the bye week and then I'm all sorted. Um, so for me, I would prefer to take two, but I get the merit of trying to stream. I have found streaming quarterbacks when they're more higher owned, knowing there's 24 off the board much harder to stream if you think of that point if everyone takes two except you that's 23 qbs off the board that's giving you nine starting qbs to stream from which doesn't sound like a lot um and it isn't because you're picking from like the very bottom of the pool and you're hoping hoping that there's someone viable that you can start every week but i'm not so sure um, what's the greatest Warrior-based charity fantasy league in the world? Is the Warrior Bowl. Thanks, Greg, for writing in uh, and gate-crashing. Yes, go sign up for the Warrior Bowl. Um, it's only great because I came second in it. If it wasn't, I don't know if I'd recognize his existence. I hope that's good enough for you, Greg. Last question. I appreciate this. It's probably gone on longer than I definitely expected to. Um, how do you differentiate between players who are good in real life and, and who, who score fantasy points in, fa- in fantasy football? Uh, it's a good question. It's basically just maths. Um, give you a great example. Jameis Winston is a quarterback god in fantasy football. Is he a great quarterback? Yet to be seen, I think, is a fair assessment. Ryan Fitzpatrick, probably the same. Uh, everyone loves Fitz. Fitz is a great guy. Is he a great fantasy quarterback? Is he a great quarterback? I think he's great. I think he's good. I think he has great moments. I think he has poor moments. But if he was good, he'd be he'd have had a starting job for for years. Right? He was a backup for a long time. He goes to a new team every year. But for fantasy football, he's great because he slings the ball. Um, meanwhile, uh, inversely, you have someone like this is a hard one now. Ben Roethlisberger has won two Super Bowls, right? You'd argue he was at his peak, pretty good quarterback. At times, he'd be pretty good in fantasy football. At times, he'd be a bit of a bust. Tom Brady, before he moved to Tampa, best ever player at times, was an absolute dud in fantasy football. Um, with quarterbacks, you're basically looking at yards. Um, how much rushing ability do they have? If they don't rush at all, um, they're hard to get value unless they're pure. It, basically, you have to look at it. If a quarterback isn't going to rush at all for a significant amount of yardage, he has to throw a minimum 4,000, 4,100 yards and 30 touchdowns to be relevant in fantasy football. Probably even close to 35 touchdowns. How many people are in that bracket? Tom Brady? Uh, I'm just, Justin Herbert? 
and Claire's struggling there. That's about it. There's not many, uh, ultimately. So that's kind of what I mean. Um, whereas again, Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts, I wouldn't think is a is a good is a great quarterback, but he runs a lot, so he's going to put up a, a lot of yards. So if they, you have to first look at their running a bit. Even Josh Allen, the first year in the league, you know, he wasn't he wasn't good at all, but yet he um, he put up a, a lot of yards on the ground and, and scored touchdowns on the ground. So he was very relevant for fantasy football, but isn't good. It uh, wasn't good then. He's obviously a very good player now. In terms of the other positions, um, wide receivers, again, you could have slot receivers who uh, get a lot of catches um, and could be quite good, but they're actually not great or significant players. Um, but they kind of have to find the, the end zone. Running backs is harder. Running backs, you kind of, it's all about volume. Um, and you could have players who just, well, you wouldn't perceive to be very good. Uh, last season, you know, I don't think anyone has ever told me that J.D. McKissick and Naheem Hines are world beaters at running back position, but they were very relevant for fantasy football for the kind of role that they had, especially PPR because they catch passes. So, look, really, the, the how to differentiate is usage and volume. If they have the usage and the volume, they're going to be good in fantasy football, whether or not they're actually good in real life um, is a different question. So uh, that'll do it. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, if you're watching some video, I've posted on the group chat. Sorry, I've not looked at the camera the whole time, um, but I hope you still get more value out of the content than perhaps the, the me looking at the camera the full time. <laughs> I need to get a bit better at that. But I hope you uh, found this useful and I look forward to playing with you newbies in the leagues that I'm going to uh, play in and for you listening on the pod, thanks very much for indulging this exercise. I hope if nothing else, you've learned a couple of things and feel free to just continue to ask questions. And, uh, I'll always try and get to them. Uh, if not in a pod, then direct but until later rush nation till next podcast don't forget keep rushing HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.